Well, the last couple of weeks, actually it's been scattered a couple times in there between, but I've been talking about the Holy Spirit. Pastor Bob shared and, and, and talked about the Holy Spirit in adult Sunday school this morning. And we'll be starting the, the series uh, out of the story next week. So, Lord willing, unless he leads otherwise, um, I wanted to share again today some more things about the Holy Spirit. And some of it may be a little repetitious. Who knows? But I don't know that we can grasp enough understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and His role on earth today and in our lives and in the church, God's church. The title of my message this morning is simply The Power to Fulfill Our Destiny. As you've heard me share so many times, I am so absolutely certain that God has a divine destiny for every single one of us. And He has this plan for our life laid out. And when God has a plan, it will succeed if we cooperate. He has a plan and He's given us the Holy Spirit, His Spirit. I still just wrestle with that reality that the Spirit of God the Father, the Spirit of Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit lives in me. The Spirit of truth lives in you, lives in us. An unbelievable reservoir that we can't comprehend with our natural mind. But He's there and He promises to be there all the time in every situation. And it's interesting that if God has this destiny... He has this plan. He gives us the Holy Spirit, not to just keep us company along the way, but to lead and guide and direct it as we surrender to Him. And He gives us the power to succeed in carrying out His plan. And without this power, we are really in trouble. Now, I don't necessarily mean physically in trouble, although I think it's a dangerous place to be. But if our goal as Christians is what the Bible says it should be to bring glory and honor to the Father, we cannot carry out our plan in such a way that will bring Him glory unless the Holy Spirit is leading, guiding, and direct us. We cannot do it in our flesh. It's impossible. We can't bring glory to God in our flesh. You know, in our flesh, you know these scriptures, there is no good thing in me without the Spirit of God. But yet within, within me is the Holy Spirit who makes all things possible through me. It's an amazing concept. And God has declared from the very beginning of creation that man was destined to rule and reign. Believe that? You are destined to rule and reign. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, Verse 28, after he has created man, he says this, be fruitful and multiply. We've heard that before. But then he goes on and says, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over every living thing that moves on the earth. Subdue and rule. Remember, we talked last week about the breath of God, the Holy Spirit in Adam and in Eve. And they were in perfect union. 
God could tell them to rule and reign and give them that authority and that power because the Holy Spirit was in perfect union with them. And then, of course, we all know what happened. Sin happened. And I think even today, well, I know even today, there is something in mankind, in humankind, that wants to rule and have authority, to have power. Look at the world today. Look at the world throughout history. Most of the violence throughout the history of the world has been caused by that thing in man to want power and to rule and have authority. God intended it to be in man, but in line with His Holy Spirit who lives and dwells with us. The flesh, Satan, will abuse it. When you go and look at that verse in Genesis, and you see the word subdue and rule over, the word subdue in the Hebrew is kabosh. I smile when I say that. You know, kabosh. Anybody use that except in our house? I think I've heard my wife say that before. She's looking at me. But the word in the Hebrew means to bring something into bondage by force, to subdue it, to bring it into subjection. It's a power. And he's giving that to man over all of the living creation. And the word to rule over is rada. And rada means an authority to have dominion. So my point here that I want to start out with is from the very beginning, it was God's plan that man would have power and authority in the earth. And his plan didn't change. But sin came. Man lost his authority, lost his power, his ability to reign, he got kicked out of the garden and we came under the curse, the curse of sin. But God had a plan. And we talked about that last week, but God had a plan. And thank goodness God had a plan. And his, in his plan, I'm going to read three different scriptures and one builds on the other in the point that I want us to see. The first one is in Galatians chapter 3. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. First part of his plan was to redeem man. Man was in bondage to sin and death, the power of sin and death. He redeemed us. He paid the price for sin through Christ. And he says he redeemed us that we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, speaking, Jesus is speaking. These are his words. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, all authority has been given to the Son by the Father. All the authority has been given to the Son. But then he says in Romans eight seventeen, if we are children of God, we are then heirs 
of God. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. We've been redeemed by Christ. He met the Father's requirement for sin. And He gave the Son all authority. And He says, you and I are joint heirs with Christ. Whatever Christ received as the Son, we receive. Authority. It's there for us in Christ. Through the work of redemption, He's given us that authority as joint heirs with Him. And then He also made this promise to give them the power of the promise. In Luke 24, verse 49, it says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. This promise gets talked about so much. We need to understand the promise is the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The authority has been given to us through redemption because we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to the disciples before his ascension and he says, but go to Jerusalem and wait until the power comes, till the promise comes. Authority requires power. I always have the picture of the traffic cop in these congested cities standing out there in the middle of an intersection and cars coming every direction. And all he has to do is hold up his hand or blow his whistle. And everybody obeys what he's telling them to do. The authority that he has. If you or I went out there and did that, dressed like this, we'd go out there and we'd stand and we'd have no power to back up the authority that we think we have. But that policeman standing there has authority because of the power. If he had no power, if there was no consequence, if that badge meant nothing, if our court system wasn't, didn't exist, he'd get run over in a heartbeat. We need authority and power. The authority comes as joint heirs with Christ. The promise of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost came to give the power to do that divine destiny that he had for the disciples, but the divine destiny that he has for each one of us. We need a Pentecost experience. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled daily with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time thing. He indwells us. That's a one-time. It's done forever when we accept Christ just like that. But in the Bible we see, be filled, be filled, be continually filled. We need to be filled. We need to be seeking. We need to be crying out to God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And when you do that, you might hear the whisper back, empty some of that garbage and I can fill you up even more. And you'll grant us repentance and give us grace to forgive. He's not going to fill a dirty vessel with the power of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. That's why they were all in Jerusalem. It was a feast day. And one of the things they celebrated at Pentecost was they were celebrating the last week of the spring harvest. You know, the, the harvest is done. God has provided for us. They have this celebration of harvest. Well, for us, it's also a picture of a spiritual harvest. The filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit provides for us a tremendous harvest to be the power to witness. 
You know, remember when he said, stay in Jerusalem until the power comes upon you to be my witnesses. Boy, it can get frustrating if we're out there trying to witness in the flesh. The Holy Spirit gives us power. And we sometimes define that so narrowly and according to our own fleshly lusts. But he gives us the power to speak words that have the power to convict of sin. He gives us the power to keep our mouth shut when we're supposed to keep our mouth shut. He gives us power to do all these things. It's not just those supernatural, well, they're all supernatural. It's just not those things we define as supernatural, to heal the sick, cast out demons, or raise the dead. That power is there too. But it's power to do everything. Because remember, without the Spirit, we can do nothing of value to God. Nothing. But He empowers us to do everything and to be witnesses is one of the things we reap. The power that gives us the ability to be renewed and transformed. How many of you are the same person today that you were before you accepted Christ? Boy, I hope nobody's saying, yeah, me. The Holy Spirit moves in. And there's a power there to transform us, to change us as we surrender to that power. You know, the Holy Spirit moves in and the desire is to be in union with our spirit. But union doesn't just mean they're touching or connected like that. Union. Together. Becoming one. And when my spirit and the Holy Spirit in union, I will walk out perfectly what God has for us. Problem is I don't spend many days or hours in that perfect union. But it's there and it's available to us. So there's a power to transform us. A power to renew our minds. It's a power that allows us to live our life in the presence of God. Now a lot of us can't even relate to that thought because it's so ethereal or something. The power to live in the presence of God. To enjoy His presence. I mean, it should be a no-brainer because He lives within us. He lives within us. If we are just sensitive to that reality, God lives in me. His presence is with me. I mean, think about it. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He lives in me. Because of that, we have that power to live in His presence. Because of Pentecost, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God's power is abundantly available to every single one of us as a believer. You know, we call ourselves charismatics or Pentecostals or whatever we call ourselves. The reality is, what we need to remember is, we claim to be a people, a church, a body of believers who believes in and desires the things of the Holy Spirit. We are a church that wants to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we continually need to bring back and refocus on that reality. Because it's really easy to just do church. It's just really easy to slip back into that mentality. I'm going to put in my couple hours on Sunday morning and I walk out the door and it's done. Wasn't fellowship sweet in church today? It should be sweet every day outside of the church. We may not always have fellowship with our believers, but we always can be in fellowship with God because He lives and dwells in us. Fellowship. As witnesses, we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. If your desire is to see people saved, that comes from the Holy Spirit. 
But if you want to see people saved, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the power of the Holy Spirit is working through you. Being obedient to the Holy Spirit, listening for His voice, listening to His promptings, responding to His promptings, and then responding in obedience, not disobedience. As a church, as a church, and this is where this all started swelling up in me in these last few weeks that we need to talk about the Holy Spirit. As a church, we cannot afford to stay the same. We cannot afford to stay the same. We need to be growing in the Spirit continually. If we expect to to have an impact on our culture, in our area, our spheres of influence, Ballotin, Southwest Minnesota, if we expect to be of any impact for the kingdom of God, we cannot stay the same. We believe God has bigger plans. God wants to do something bigger in southwest Minnesota. And we believe He wants to use us as a church, a body of believers, to be a part of what He wants to do. We can't stay the same. And we can't stay the same individually, or we will stay the same corporately. We need to be seeking and pressing in to the things of God. Seriously, watch the news and see if you can find any hope anywhere else. There is none. By now we've probably given up on our politicians, or at least I hope we have. They're not going to fix anything. The world will not fix itself. It's going to be the church because we are the hands and feet of Christ. We are what He has chosen to use in the world today to increase His kingdom by the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And if it doesn't start with us individually and as a church corporately, we will not affect our culture in a positive way. The culture will continue to suck you and me in. We will start thinking like the culture. We will start accepting the things of our culture. We will start to walk in the same fear and hopelessness that the culture is dragging everybody down into. Or we will fall into the trap that the culture is providing that seek your pleasure, seek your peace, seek your enjoyment from all this other stuff. Drugs, alcohol, sex, material goods, money. How many times you ever had your own thought in your own head? I have. If I just had more money, I'd be happier. No, you wouldn't. You'd spoil yourself more and you'd be broke again. And you'd feel bad about spending all that money so foolishly. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. We cannot afford to ignore the inner presence of God that lives and dwells in each one of us. We cannot ignore that presence. He will not override our free will. It's up to us to cooperate. Crucify our flesh, the Bible says. Crucify our flesh. The good news is when we decide to, He'll help us. He'll show us what needs to be nailed to the cross. And He'll give us the grace to do it if we cooperate with His Spirit. We as individuals and as a church need to live in that Pentecostal power that we see in the book of Acts. I'm going to kind of quickly look at three specific reasons or areas that we need the power of the Holy Spirit active and alive in our lives and in the church today. The first one is what I've already mentioned, to be his witnesses. I know you're familiar with the scripture, but in Acts 1, 4, and 5, it says this. 
On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father that he has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and around the world, Judea, Samaria, to the farthest ends of the world. Maybe this picture can help you grab a hold of this reality about the power. A clock, a watch. Man walks into the jewelry store and hands the watch to the jeweler and says, Would you fix my watch? It's broken. It doesn't run anymore. He says, Absolutely. He goes back out of sight. He's only gone about a minute and he comes back and hands me the watch and he says, Here you go. It's working perfectly. And I say, wait a minute, how could you fix my watch in one minute? It was broken. It's a complicated piece of equipment. And he says, all I had to do is put a new battery in. And the guy looks at him and says, battery? I've been winding that thing every day for two years. That's us. Trying to do things in the flesh that the Holy Spirit is the only one that can do. We have the power in us. That battery is the Holy Spirit. We see all these things that need to be done. We see all this chaos in our life. All the circumstances that are driving us crazy. And we suck it up and just push through it. Fix it if we can. Kill ourselves trying. Drive ourselves to drugs and alcohol. Whatever. Get so oppressed and depressed and fed up. And the whole time the power is within. It's there already. Most of the time, well, or an awful lot of the time anyway, many Christians don't realize the inner power's there. We think we've got to handle everything. And maybe, just maybe, when it gets so bad we've got nowhere else to turn, we turn to our insurance policy, Jesus. We have the power to be witnesses because of the Holy Spirit. We have the power to share Christ with other people because of the Holy Spirit. And I know so many of us say, golly, I'm just not as good at, as good at speaking as you are. If I could only speak better, if I was only smarter, if I only knew more Scripture by memory, if only, if only, if only. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. And that's just not signs and wonders, but it includes signs and wonders. But his preaching was on the power of the Holy Spirit, anointing those words that when they hit their, their, their intended target, there was a power to change hearts, a power to change lives. That's the kind of power we need. And signs and wonders will follow those who believe. A power to get people to hear the gospel that can only come from the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. But what a blessing it is that it flows through us that we get to be a part of doing what God's called us to do. Look at the church today. I mean the church in general. No specific church. But the church as a whole. In the Bible it says this in 2 Timothy. 
chapter 3, in the last days, the church will have a form of godliness, but denying its power. In the last days, the church will have a form of godliness and deny its power. There are so many churches that are denying the power of the Holy Spirit. Shoot, they don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. Denying godliness, living in godliness. You know, think about many churches. What does that verse mean? They will have a form of godliness. They're going to be way, way more interested in the externals than they are the internals. They're going to be way more interested in the show, the production, than they are the internals. You know, the show and the production, the best worship band in the world, light shows, smoke, all of this stuff. It might be nice, it might be entertaining, and there's nothing wrong with it, but that's all it would be is nice and entertaining if the Spirit of God isn't present. That's all it is. Show. A form of godliness. A form of godliness. The church today is filled with a form of godliness denying its power. We cannot be that church. We cannot be that church and expect God to change our culture, our society, the area that we live. We need to focus on the internal, the power that's in each one of us as a believer. A second reason we need that power, that Pentecostal power, is we need the Holy Spirit to transform the church. And again, I'm using the word church in a very generic, God's church. No one denomination, no one particular group of people. But when you go back and again in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a mighty violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest over each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Look around our group of believers. Right here. We are different from one another. We are so different from one another. Different backgrounds. Different issues. Different personalities. Different values. You know, how can you bring together a group of people that are so different and hope that they come together as one to accomplish the purpose that God has given to a particular church? Our mission, our vision, how could we expect 180, 200 people to come together only by the Spirit of God? No matter what we come from, what our differences are, if we are united by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows where we're to head and we can get along. Look at how many churches deny the power of the Holy Spirit and look how filled they are with division and strife. No unity. Look through the Scriptures in the New Testament churches. You see when there is unity of purpose, unity of vision, they can do amazing things. As a matter of fact, we even see an example in the Old Testament in Babylon where a bunch of Babylonians decided, we are all as one. Let's build this tower to heaven. We call the Tower of Babel. And let's build a name for ourselves. God had to come and confuse their languages so that they wouldn't accomplish their purpose. God knew the power of unity. He's the one that's given 
that power of unity. Why was the symbol of fire over the believers' heads when they received the Holy Spirit? Well, let me preface what I'm going to tell you with, I don't know for sure. But, that's a, that's a caution that you should test us, check it out, see if it means anything to you. But when you think of fire, fire is a symbol of transformation. If I took a match and held that fire to this piece of paper, this fire would be transformed quickly, wouldn't it? Whatever fire touches, it impacts, it transforms. Whatever it touches. Now in the Old Testament, when we saw fire talked about, it was usually a transformation that led to destruction. God used fire to destroy things. In the New Testament, we see fire as a symbol of refining, a symbol of empowerment, a symbol of transformation. When you think of the, think of the, the, the day of Pentecost, think of that group of people that were gathered together in that upper room or wherever they were at. You had a group of fishermen, ex-fishermen. You had a group of former prostitutes. You had some ex-religious leaders. You had a tax collector or two. You had some of the family members of Jesus who didn't used to believe in him. You had some relatives of the disciples who probably thought the disciples were nuts at one time. You had this group of people so different, and yet they became the church. God brought them together as the church. Just think about before Pentecost, before the power of the Holy Spirit came, these disciples were afraid. They were hiding in locked rooms, afraid. They were lacking faith. They lacked understanding. They didn't understand the authority. They didn't understand all the fullness of what Jesus had been teaching them yet. They didn't get it yet. All of this before the day of Pentecost. After Pentecost, there was a power to be bold that came upon them. Peter's the great example. Power to speak clearly. A power on Peter's words. You know, read Peter's sermon. It's not that great. It's just really true. And thousands of people got saved because the power of the Holy Spirit was on his words. Power to convict. Power to have authority. Power to have understanding. All of a sudden, if you read Peter's sermons and you listen to the disciples' teachings, you know, it's just a few days before, they didn't get it. They'd heard it, but they didn't get it. You ever said to yourself, I've read it, I've heard it, I don't get it. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He's our teacher. He'll give us revelation. The power of the Holy Spirit to understand the Word of God. This is a living book because the living God in us is our teacher to give us revelation of what it says. Don't expect an unbeliever to get it. You can have all the knowledge intellectually of what the Word of God says and not get it. Not have the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit comes, there is a power that's given to read and to understand. This group of misfits, such as they were, after the day of Pentecost, and this is one of my favorite little twig pieces of Scripture where it says, this group of guys, these, this group of believers turned the world upside down. 
Now, in the context, they wanted to kill him because they were doing it. But wouldn't it be great to be that group of believers that turned southwest Minnesota upside down? Wouldn't it be great to be part of a larger group of believers that turned southwest Minnesota upside down? And then they just continued to spread and turn Minnesota upside down, South Dakota and Iowa, and then whoever and wherever God would send us as people. You hear that and you think, yeah, right, we're in Ballotin. That, that's such a lie. Go visit Galilee. We look good compared to what they had to work with. God can do anything he wants to do through people who are totally surrendered to his spirit living in us. Only the Holy Spirit can bring us as a group. You know, we're a microcosm of the church right here. Here we are, a bunch of misfits, and I'm chief amongst the misfits. Isn't it great? We don't have to fake it. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. Just be who we are. God gave us our personalities. He gave us our giftings. He gave us our skills. It's all His. All we need to do is surrender the power of the Holy Spirit and He can do amazing things through every single one of us. Amazing. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Look what He did with the disciples. Look what He did with Peter. It's amazing what He can do with us when we surrender. What the Holy Spirit did on the day of Pentecost with those believers in transforming them, he's still doing today to people who will receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit and then surrender to it. And the third thing and the final thing I want to mention, and I've said this earlier, is that we cannot, as children of God, ignore the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. We can't afford to. We can't afford to ignore his presence. If you are a child of God, if you have truly accepted Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for your sin and surrendered your life to him, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We need to seek him. Invite his presence. Desire to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Desire to be filled every day. Cry out to him, God, fill me again this morning. I got a big day ahead of me. And then by about 9.30, you need to ask again. Fill me. It's going bad. Fill me. Over and over. Surrendering. In Acts 2 verse 3 that I read earlier, it said, They seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest over each of them. And again, I, I'm, I'm making some comparisons to the Old Testament to try to maybe understand what may have been the case with why tongues of fire. You know, if you read that, it sounds like this big ball of fire came and it split up into cloven tongues of fire. It says, as of fire. It doesn't say it was fire. It says, as of fire. But whatever it was, they're seeing what looked like fire over all their heads. And it seemed to have some sort of connection to the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the Old Testament. In, in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, when Moses was dedicating the tabernacle in Leviticus chapter 9. It says this, Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and they fell and worshipped face down. Fire came from God affirming that the tabernacle was acceptable, that the sacrifice was acceptable. And it excited the people and filled them with joy. And they fell down and worshipped. 
when the fire of God came to confirm that it was acceptable. And then we see in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, Solomon is now dedicating the temple. We went from the tabernacle to the temple. And it says there, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Another example that God had accepted, an indication by God that he had accepted the tabernacle and the temple as his dwelling place. Now all of a sudden on the day of Pentecost, we got look like what looks like fire come down from heaven. And it splits into what looks like cloves of fire over the heads of every one of the believers. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We are told, Paul is saying, you are the temple of God. I wonder if, if we could maybe connect those dots of God indicating by fire that he accepted the tabernacle, he accepted the temple, and maybe he's indicating that he has accepted us as believers as the temple of the Holy Spirit, his dwelling place on the earth today. His sign of approval, not because you are special or I am special, but because what Jesus Christ did on the cross through his death and resurrection makes us acceptable temples for the Holy Spirit. I love that picture. God's stamp of approval. Because of Christ, not because of me, I'm approved as the temple of the Holy Spirit The church is now the dwelling place of God on earth today. The church, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of truth is dwelling in His church. And the power of the Holy Spirit is there. And if you remember in that verse I just read in 1 Corinthians, it says, we are not our own. We now belong to Him. Trying to avoid a rabbit trail. <laughs> we belong to Him. We are no longer our own. If we want the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, we got to remember who we belong to and that He's a holy God. And we can't continue to live in the sin that we're living in and enjoying and taking pleasure in in our flesh and expect the power of God to move through us and in us. It won't happen. We can't live like pagan unbelievers and expect the power of God. And you cannot expect the blessings of God. The Bible is crystal clear. My disobedience will bring cursing in my life. But my obedience will bring blessing into my life. If you have sin that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you in your life, you need to repent of it, turn away from it, and surrender it to God and receive His forgiveness and not go back to it so that you might walk in victory, walk in power, and walk in the blessings of God. Otherwise, get ready. Disobedience will bring cursing in our lives. Now that seems like a no-brainer choice, doesn't it? But i got to admit, I disobey all the time. And then I suffer the consequences. 
But thank God he convicts us and gives us the power to repent. And the blood of Jesus has made a way for us to be forgiven. Like every relationship, the relationship we have with the Holy Spirit requires work. You know, maybe you remember somebody in your life that you were very close to at one time. Maybe it was a mentor or a teacher or a coach or just a good friend. And you were very close to them and they spoke into your life. And, and out of that relationship, there was just so much pleasure, so much joy. And, and you so appreciated and loved them. And then all of a sudden, because life happens, they moved away or you moved away or, or tragedy came and maybe they were taken from us through death. Who knows what? But all of a sudden, they're gone. And at first we miss them intensely and then all of a sudden it just begins to wane and before long that relationship's gone and all of a sudden we begin to forget. The impact that that relationship had on us becomes less and less if we're not careful, conscious. That's how it is with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to jump back to the Old Testament and wrap this up in the next couple minutes. In Leviticus 6 it says this. And he's speaking about the fire. The fire. And he says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn of the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. It must not, it must not, it must not. You know, you see it two, three, four times. It's kind of important. The fire has to be attended to constantly so that it would never go out. So should the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to attend to it constantly. In first, no, Second Timothy, you might remember this verse, Paul is exhorting Timothy. And a lot of times we quote the verses, the stirring up the gifts that God put in you. But the, really the translation is kindle afresh the gift that the Holy Spirit put in you. Kindle afresh that picture of a fire. A verse that I think gets misused a whole lot in 1 Thessalonians, last scripture this morning. I'll give you two translations. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. The Hebrew word there is quench. The Greek word, excuse me, is quench. Do not extinguish the fire. Not quite, extinguish it. Picture of putting out a fire. And in the NIV, it's translated that way. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. How do we make sure that we do not let that fire wane in our life? It's a relationship. As Bob said this morning, the Holy Spirit and the Word, you can't separate the two. Spend time in the Word. You'll hear his voice so much more clearly if you know what the Word says because his voice always aligns with the Word. Always. Spend time in prayer. Spend time meditating on the Word. But I guess what I would like to drive home as much as anything, and I, I need to hear this more than you all probably, we need to repent of sin in our life. Sin is like a fire extinguisher when it comes to the Holy Spirit in our life. Sin will quench the Spirit. Sin 
extinguishes the Spirit. We need to repent. And even repentance is a gift from the Holy Spirit. We can't even do that on our own. And when we repent, there's the power to forgive the Holy Spirit. Surrender. We can't surrender without the Holy Spirit's power helping us. When we do this, amazing things begin to happen. We begin to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit more and more. All of a sudden, God is using your giftings in greater and greater ways. All of a sudden, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc., is being manifested in your life. And people are drawn to you and you go, wonder what happened. The fruit of the Holy Spirit will draw people. You'll cherish His presence. We need to stir up the fire that He's placed in us. That is the only way that we're going to make a difference in the world today for the kingdom of God. And that's the only reason we're here. That's the only reason. He has a purpose for us as individuals and as a church. And the power is going to come by the Holy Spirit. And we have the authority because of the work of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as I've shared this morning, Father, if there's been stuff that has been of my flesh, God, I pray that you would not let it be remembered by anyone. But God, I pray you would take those things that are of your spirit and you will quicken them in our hearts and our minds. Draw us to your word. God, show us those areas where we need to repent of the sin that is in our life. Grant us forgiveness. God, I pray that you would, you would carry out and help us to carry out the destiny that you have for us, for each one of us that divine purpose in our lives that will bring you glory and honor. God, I pray that even today and this week as we walk out our daily life, your Holy Spirit will be leading, guiding, and directing us and we will have ears to hear and we will respond in obedience and we will be blessed for it. And now, Lord, I pray for the food that we are about to eat, bless it to our body's use. I pray that you would bless each one that has brought this food for us. And God, we pray that you would be glorified in our lives today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.